0: Welcome to Collaboration
1: RA. This podcast is dedicated to our profession, allowing us to share who we are, what we bring to the field of radiology, and how we care for the patients we serve.
0: We look forward to hearing from you. Find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com.
1: We appreciate you listening and we're glad you're here. Now let's collaborate. Welcome to this episode of Collaboration RA. I'm your host, Reese Bragoon, and today I have Marceline Forbes with me. Say hello, Marceline. Hello. We appreciate you listening with us this week. We have a special guest with us. We have Elizabeth, one of my associates that I've known for a number of years. I first met her in 2017 on my very first trip to Washington, D.C. to lobby for the MARCA Bill, and we've been pretty good friends ever since. We've been to a number of conferences already. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us this evening. How are you?
2: I'm great. Thank you for having me.
1: So just a little background on Elizabeth. She went to RT school and graduated in 2003. After that, she went on to get her RA at the University of North Carolina, and she finished that in 2007. And now she's currently working in Pittsburgh. There's a number of things that she's done along the way, and I'm sure we will touch on those things throughout this episode I do know that she has been an avid volunteer for rad She currently sits as the director of the technologist program. And I know for myself, and I think Marceline as well, we want to know more about that. So Elizabeth, please explain to us, when did you first feel that radiology was your true calling, your passion?
2: I always, when I was a kid, thought I wanted to be in the medical field. I thought I wanted to be a physician, but once I learned how long the education was for a physician, I decided I should look at other options. I started looking at other health professions and I found the radiologic technologist. I volunteered at 16 years old at my local hospital as a CT tech aide. I used to put the films in order back when we had films. And that's when I knew I loved radiology and I went to technologist school right after I graduated high school.
0: Elizabeth, after you completed the RT program. What kind of inspired you to lead into the RA program?
2: I loved being an x-ray tech, but I always knew I was going to need to do something more. One of the radiologists that I worked with had mentioned the ultrasound practitioner. This sounded exactly like something I wanted to do in the future. But as I looked into it, I was afraid this would never become a real profession. So I decided I was going to become a physician assistant. There was a program about 30 minutes from my house, and I was looking into applying to the program. And I found out the program was no longer accepting applicants because they were restructuring. The PAs used to be a two-year allied health degree and you could apply, but they were changing it to a master's degree. Since the program wasn't active, I started searching for other programs nearby and I stumbled upon the radiologist assistant. Once I found it and I saw what the requirements were and what the job entailed, I knew that it was the perfect job for me.
1: So... You literally, like, found this on your own without any external forces guiding you. Is that correct?
2: Google. That's it.
1: Google. Okay. (laughs) Because, you know, I think there's very few institutions that actually touch on the RA career path while in the RT program. I was very fortunate. I had RAs at clinical sites where I did some of my training. And so that's really what opened my eyes to this. So that's very interesting that you kind of just fell into this on your own without having any kind of one guiding you in that way. So Elizabeth, I know that we have some listeners who are students getting their start in their RA programs or about to finish up. Do you have any advice for them?
2: The RA program seems incredibly overwhelming. You learn a ton in the two years that you're in the program. And I think if you learn your path physiology, everything else just falls into place and there is no memorization. And that took me a minute to realize that if I did that, it would just be so much easier if you understand how the body works and what it does. Everything else makes sense.
0: I can resonate with that. When I was through the RPA program at Weber State, I don't know if y'all have heard of it, but the bodies show that they have where the people donate their body to science and they actually do cross-sectional anatomy. So you get to see human body that's been cross-sectionalized, if that's even a word. But you get to go in and see it. And I remember at that time, I was actually doing the anatomy of the MRI and CT and understanding pathology. And I went and saw that in Vegas because they typically have it there in Vegas. And as soon as I walked in, it's like everything clicked. It made sense. I know that I see it on a CT, but seeing it in the human body is so much different. I really advise anyone that's in the X ray program or any of the programs that are doing cross sectional anatomy. That was really beneficial. I'm really grateful for the individuals who did donate their bodies to science. It really does impact what we do and what we see. And to get to see it and then understand it was pretty phenomenal. So I can see where you're saying seeing it, looking at it. Pretty interesting. I don't know if y'all have ever been to one of those.
2: I have, and I agree with you. It's amazing.
1: Growing up, I mentioned in my introduction episode that my mom teaches A.M.P. And so I grew up going to cadaver lab with her when I was in junior high and high school. That was almost normal to me to see these things. And what my very first takeaway was that seeing these dissected cadavers up close in person, seeing the anatomy and trying to compare it to my visual representations in the anatomy books is They're not all color-coordinated. They're not all pretty (laughs) greens and purples and blues and reds and pinks. It's all tissue, and it can be very hard to differentiate one versus the next. So that was one of my first takeaways, like, oh, it all looks kind of the same inside.
0: But the same thing is true of x-ray. You're distinguishing different gray matters for densities, for tissues, for fluids, things along those lines. And so it was almost like you could hold your anatomy book up of what it's telling you to look for in pathology and you see the x-ray imaging of the CT and you could almost hold it up to the slice that they took there of the human body. And that's where it kind of clicks with you. That, okay, this density that I see here is the same density here that's a vessel because they label it. And so that's where you kind of get to take that back with you. And as you look now through CTs or MRIs, you're able to distinguish that and reflect back to whenever you got to go through and see that. But you're right. It would help if our real anatomy was all color coded.
2: It would just make life easier.
0: So whenever you completed the RA program, I have two questions on this one. What is something that you feel like set you up for success? And what is something that you wish that you would have done differently?
2: What's helped me set up for success was working with so many different physicians throughout my career, not just in training, but after my training too, I've worked with so many physicians. All of my techniques are a mixture of something from all of my mentors, which has played a big role in how successful I've been at what I do.
0: And what is something that you wish that you would have done differently?
2: For me, if I could go back in time, I would have just been a physician, which is what I always wanted to do with the amount of schooling really made me not want to do it. But in retrospect, it would have been a great choice. And I wish I would have. Do you think you would have stayed in radiology? The question is, if I had never been in radiology, if I would have ended up there, I would like to think so. For now, if I would go to med school, which I've thought about several different times i would definitely go into radiology but you wonder if you're exposed to every other area if you might find something else because i clearly love medicine radiology is my favorite but i haven't been exposed to those other areas as much as i've been exposed to radiology
0: that's what makes us unique as ra's is that's always been our background that is who we are that's what we know it's where we're comfortable but comfortable in that we know how to operate the equipment We know how to work as technologists. We know how to work with radiologists. There's so many components to it in radiology that is so different from every other aspect of medicine. As an RA, you're so specialized in radiology, that's kind of where you are. And you can branch out and venture into other aspects, but they're still within the realm of radiology.
2: Recently, I went through a potential job change and I really started looking into other avenues in medicine, as far as doing some artificial intelligence work or working with insurance companies or working in sales, as I thought about those kind of options, they're viable options, but I really, really, really just enjoy what I do. I like the patient interaction, and I don't think I would like anything else the same.
0: So then in that aspect of things, what is your favorite part about what you do?
2: My favorite part is anything that involves a continuity of care. For example, if I'm doing a biopsy on a patient, it's the first time I'm seeing them. They're not sure what's going on. They have something going on. You know, I do a biopsy. The next thing you know, I'm seeing them for a port placement. And then I'm seeing them for a fluid drainage. And through this time, we're developing a relationship. I'm talking to them through their difficult time. They're going through a lot. I'm helping them facilitate how to feel better. And it turns into a very rewarding relationship, I think, on both ends.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. Some of our patients, you do, you see them on a routine, regular basis. And I love when their face lights up when they get to see you. And this goes, you know, even for patients that aren't getting biopsies, you have your patients that come in for regular paras, thoras, your PTC drains, you see them and you watch them progress as they heal or as you see them towards end of life. And getting to visit with them and know that you made a difference, their families still come in and talk to you or let you know how their family members doing or if they've passed. And I think it just resonates with who we are as a culture in radiology, how I see the techs and the radiologists also do that continuity care. And so I think a lot of people have this conception that radiology is an in out and that's it. And there's really so much more to it than just that. There is a ton of continuity care in radiology.
1: Yeah, the continuity is huge because over time, the more you see these patients, whether it be for the biopsy or the treatment care plan or the therapeutic treatments afterwards that come along with some of these pathologies, they know that whenever they come to that department and see your face, you can honestly see it in them, in their eyes, in their behavior, in their behavior they kind of can settle down and relax because they know that they're going to be taken care of based upon their past history with you in that department. And that's huge. The more that we can implement that across the imaging department to set our patients at ease, let them know that they're in good hands and they're going to be taken care of. The patient satisfaction just goes way, way up. And not only patients, but their families as well, like you said, Marceline. It just makes them feel better. And you get the gratitude from the families even saying, Thank you so much for everything you and your department did. It's just amazing to see that again and again and again.
0: And I think even some of it bleeds over into, you know, you get a patient, especially with our outpatients, they call them the day before and talk to them about the procedure they're going to come in to have done. And a lot of them will have questions. So I get on the phone and I answer the questions for them. And then whenever I see them the next day it always brings a smile to their face. You know, oh, yes, I talked with you yesterday. Thank you so much for explaining things. It made things a lot easier coming into today. I know that Reese and I do a lot of that. Elizabeth, do you guys do a lot of that too? Do you run into that same type of interaction?
2: Sometimes they do call in because they have a question or they're nervous about the procedure. And usually the call gets sent to me and I do spend some time with them. And you're right. As soon as you see them the next day, they're like, oh, you're Elizabeth or you're Marceline. And it's just rewarding. They're comfortable with you already. Reese, and you were saying, everybody who comes in, who you keep seeing, as soon as they see your face, they know that they're going to have good care today. Not that they wouldn't get good care otherwise, but they especially know if you're there, that you're there for them.
0: Well, and that's the other thing too. It may be a different radiologist for that week, but they know who I am and they know that I'm going to be involved with their care. And so it already opens up that line of trust and understanding feeling comfortable and knowing somebody there. It's like having a friend with you. So I think it makes a big difference. And especially I think that's where the RA is a huge asset to radiology departments because we are consistent.
2: Couldn't agree more. So, Elizabeth, I know that Reese
0: and I talked a couple of times, actually, about how Reese got to visit the Capitol and go and speak on behalf of MARCA. But I'd like to know from each of you what your takeaway was from that. How did it look for you? One of my biggest things that I've always wanted to do was make it to the Capitol in favor of Marca. I've just never gone.
2: Okay. So Reese, first of all, do you remember what happened that morning?
1: I do, actually. Uh, we were sitting there at the round table getting our agenda for the day and everyone's phone started blowing up because we were all trying to focus on what the topic at hand, which was advocating for Marca. Everyone kind of stopped and broke away to check their phones to see what was going on. Apparently there was a shooting just down the street. I believe it was the senators who were having a pickup baseball game. There was a very tense moment on Capitol Hill regarding if we were even going to get in to see the lobbyists or their staffers. We were kind of in a holding pattern for what felt like an hour but they actually did let us in and we actually did get to visit with a number of individuals throughout the whole day. It was a very grueling process, a lot of walking. For me, it was very eye-opening because I had never been exposed to that aspect of the political world. That's exactly what it is. It's its own world. You can enter in the buildings there and they're all connected with underground tunnels. It's just its own little community underneath the streets It was quite the experience for me.
2: So I was going to say something similar, but I do remember the baseball practice and thinking we weren't going to do anything and go home. But fortunately, we got to get into the offices and meet with the representatives. In D.C., it's almost surreal if you do any of the phone calls and the emails locally in the meetings. You usually meet with the staffer. In D.C., you got to meet mostly with the representatives which was almost an immediate feedback where they would tell you if they were going to support or not support what you're asking them to support. And if they weren't going to support MARCA, you could address their issues and maybe change their mind. I mean, the ARRT and ASRT set up all of Reese and I's meetings for those days. And Reese and I were separated after that first initial meeting and they have you go to the representatives that you should go to based on whatever logarithm that they have determined. But such a different experience than doing it at the state level, much less frustrating because you are getting that immediate feedback. But the two big things I'll remember about the day are the baseball practice and the shooting. And then at the end of the day, I was sitting in the Congressional Budget Office with Jerry Reid, the head of the ART and some other people. The staffers from the Congressional Budget Office were saying about how the RA bill is going to cost money, and that's why they're concerned. And they have given this bill a $50 million cost over a decade, which in Congress is negligible. It's almost nothing. But to give it that much of a cost for me, when I look at that, we really have to do better on explaining on what a radiologist assistant is and does. Because if they think this bill is going to cost money for us to bill at 85%, we're doing something wrong. The radiologists are doing these high-end cases. And a lot of times I get, oh, this patient needs a paracentesis prior to discharge. If it was up to the radiologist, that might not happen until tomorrow. He's busy doing other more extensive cases. Mm -hmm. Then there's me. I'm available. Do you want me to do it? I'll do it. He can go home today. Guess who is saving money by sending that patient home today? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, you're not only saving them the cost of another hospital stay, you're also saving them the cost of the procedure. It's a double win. Absolutely.
2: By decreasing turnaround times, decreasing the procedure wait times is really saving money. Yeah, and the patient's happy.
1: Yeah. They're happy. They get to go.
2: And increasing Mm -hmm. naked satisfaction. Exactly.
0: In discussing that and looking at MARCA, what do you see as the takeaway from MARCA that you would like to share with those that are listening?
2: Marka to me, means better patient care. And as I just said, this really is achieved by decreasing the turnaround times, decreasing procedure wait times, and decreasing the length of stay. Early diagnosis equals early treatment equals better survival rates. That's the most important.
1: All right, Elizabeth. So I know that you are involved with RAD-AID, and it's been a number of years since I've looked into it and know the ins and outs and details of it. But can you share with our listeners what RAD-AID is? and the impact it makes on the radiology profession.
2: So currently I'm the technologist program manager for rad The different in-country program leaders reach out to me when they need a volunteer with their ideal requirements. Then I search the rad database for volunteers that meet the criteria. I send some emails into who is interested and available. We do a preliminary interview to try to match the best volunteer to that project. RAD-AID is really providing radiology services to these underdeveloped countries that are developing. It might just be x-ray. Some of them are doing CT, MR, mammography, IR. It varies. We have an IT program. We have anything you can think of to help get that radiology department going or advance it. So I
0: actually know very little about rad I learned about it in the past year. I'm not like a big social media person. And so in starting the podcast, I've been very grateful because it's opened me up to so many aspects of our profession that maybe I was not aware of. But in terms of equipment and things like that, what all does RAD Aid bring to the underserving countries in terms of that? Or is it just people that go out and teach them to use their equipment? Kind of explain to me the whole back end of it.
2: So I will tell you, I don't know a whole lot about that side of it, but I do know a lot of the vendors, Philips, Siemens, they're donating equipment to these sites. And I don't know where the equipment comes from Is if it's, you know, equipment that was used previously, but usually they get equipment by a donation. Everything with RAD aid is usually donation. Everybody donates equipment and donates their time.
0: Today, if I said, you know what, this is something I want to be involved in, what advice would you have for me?
2: So the first thing I would tell you to do is sign up on org to be a volunteer in the technologist program. And then you kind of just have to sit and wait for something to match. You put your expertise in what you know. And then when these assignments come up, we kind of search the database for certain filters. And that's how we filter out who we send an email to to see, hey, are you available this time? This is what the project is. Would you be a good fit? And we kind of go from there. So it can be a waiting game.
0: Okay. And then once you find the candidate and you square everything away, how long do they typically stay out there? Or does it just vary depending on what it is they're going out there to do?
2: It varies, but the typical assignment is approximately minimum two weeks just because of the time it usually takes to get to these places is usually at least a day travel back and forth. And we have to make it worth it. So usually it's two weeks. Some are a week and some are three weeks. It just depends. But we can work with the volunteers on when they're available. But it also depends on what funding, because we have funding opportunities through ASRT, through the different vendors like Siemens or different institutions will qualify for grants and they have requirements for funding. And is RAD-AID
0: its own
2: community? It's its own thing with collaborative efforts. Absolutely. They hold a conference in D.C. every year. Usually in November this year, it's Saturday, November 5th.
1: Okay. How did you get involved with RAD-AID? Were you a volunteer initially? Is it something you've done multiple times? Or did you just hear about it?
2: They had a booth at the ASRT meeting. And I visited with the gentleman that was there, discussed RAD-AID with him. immediately went on and signed up. While I was at the ASRT meeting, and then it kind of fell by the wayside until an RA colleague of mine reached out to me. She was working on a project in Liberia and asked me if I was interested in helping. I said, sure. The next thing you know, I was on a plane to Liberia. I went for two weeks and I volunteered at three different hospitals working in a variety of different settings. And it was quite the eye opener. It really... Helps you understand the luxuries that we have here in America.
0: Can you explain how it impacted you? How has it changed who you are today by being able to go in with Rat Aid and to provide this service?
2: It definitely made me realize that in America we have such a different culture. I've been overseas before, but never to a place like Liberia until this. And the lack for transportation for most people. The lack of power, the lack of running water, the conditions that these people are living in are so incredibly different than what we're used to living in. I was there sometimes and people come in for an x-ray, you know, in the morning and they might run out of film before they get to them and they have waited four hours and they just say, sorry, we're done doing x-rays for today. Come back tomorrow. The people, okay, thank you. I'll be back tomorrow. What would happen if I told a patient that here in the United States?
1: We ran out of x-rays today. Come back (laughs) tomorrow when we restock. (laughs) Uh.
0: But I think really opening up yourself and saying, hey, I'm going to allow myself to have this experience. But at the same time, I'm going to teach someone who may not have the same skill sets or the advantage that I've had and getting to bring that to them, but then also getting to bring a piece of them to you and that you both get to carry out through different countries. Sounds pretty phenomenal and amazing what rad is doing by being able to provide care and not only care, taking people from here in the U.S. to go and show them how we provide the care. That is irreplaceable and phenomenal.
2: RAD-AID definitely provides an amazing service that is needed.
1: Yeah. I actually had the form filled out, but I was in the middle of finishing one school, starting another I can't risk having like someone contact me saying, hey, we selected you. Are you available? I was like, I'm in clinicals like right now. I can't do this. So now that I'm all wrapped up and finished, maybe I, I do want to you know, fill that form out again because it's still something that I feel a strong desire to go do given the opportunity. So I think there's some of our listeners out there as well who'd be interested sharing their experience and their skill set with other nations as well.
0: What advice do you have for people who are maybe on the fence about it or want to do it but are living in a busy lifestyle right now?
2: Go to RADAID.org and fill out your volunteer form. You may get an email with an opportunity that matches your skill set and you're not ready and that's okay. You don't even have to respond to the email. You can wait for the next one. Will be another one. Reese, you said, you know, you were worried. You were in clinicals. It's okay if you get an email and you're not available. It's not a good time. It's okay. But maybe in six months or a year, you'll get another one. And you'll say, oh, I can make that work. Put your name in there. you It's never an obligation. I can promise you, you'll never regret doing it. it is one of the best things that I've ever done was volunteering with RAD-Aid. And currently volunteering, I would like to do another volunteer trip soon. We have the Jonathan Mazal Grant, which is a specific RA grant through the ASRT that is set up for RAD-Aid. Just let me know. I'll find you something.
1: So uh, in a future episode, Collaboration RA will be on site in Nigeria. <laughs> <laughs> so Elizabeth, I know you're, you're very well involved in the radiology world. Apart from RADAid, are there any other projects that you're currently working with that you would like to share with uh, the listeners?
2: Currently, I'm volunteering with the ASRT and the ARRT. With the ASRT, I'm on advocacy committee. I'm an RA delegate. I'm on the RA Practice Standards Subcommittee and the General Practice Standards Committee. Really, it's great to have new voices with the ASRT, so I would just recommend anyone sign up with the ASRT to give new ideas. So I had a question about that. So
0: in looking at the RA delegates, do they have to be RARRA or can they also be RARPA?
2: They have to be registered through the ARRT Okay, as an
0: RA. And if somebody was interested in doing that, can you explain as somebody who's been doing that, what that role looks like?
2: Sure. As an RA delegate, you are involved. Currently, we have the RA practice standards revision going on. So any delegate is involved in that. and We go through the current ASRT RA practice standards and suggest any revisions to keep current with practice. Also, any questions that come to the ASRT about RAs get directed to the delegates.
1: What do I need to do to be a delegate? Do I have to have some sort of credentials? Do I have to have a number of years of experience? What does it take?
2: If you want to run for RA delegate, you have to have two years of an ASRT membership, two years of your state affiliate membership, and have participated on a state affiliate committee or an ASRT committee at some point anytime.
0: And this brings me back to my point where I talk about the importance of being involved in your committees, whether they're local or state, you get to help boost professional morale up. And I think that it's a really unique thing to bring to the table. I'm really excited that Reese is going to sign up for it.
2: You are Reese? (laughs) Wait, are you? We made it It sound like like nominate you. I know. I think I just did nominate him.
1: I don't even know if I'm eligible. The thing.
2: Well, I'll nominate you and the ASRT will tell you. Marceline, you're right. It is the power of change. If you want to see change, you need to be involved. And the ASRT, whether you want to be involved with them as a delegate or on anything, the ASRT is the biggest advocate we can have as technologists or RAs. One of the things that I've noticed has been brought up a lot is that
0: the relationships between technologists and radiologists has had a big shift from analog to digital, right? When you were talking earlier, I heard you talking about how you were in the reading room, hanging the films when you volunteered in the CT area. You got to be involved with those radiologists. You got to have that communication with them. They see you on a daily basis. They know who you are. As we've moved into digital, that relationship has shifted and it's changed. We're all aware of it. When I look at that, how do you see those relationships changing? And to you, how do you think we can mend those relationships?
2: Currently, the relationships aren't what they used to be, but I still think everyone wants them to be what they used to be. Everyone wants to work from home now. I don't think that they want to work from the department if they can help it. The software that we use now has chat features and all these technology features that we need to start using more. And if we take advantage of those, we can restore Some of the aspects of the older relationships that we used to have and make a new way of collaborating.
0: So I feel like the relationship between the technologist and radiologist was always on the technologist side, right? The radiologists have always been in the reading room. That hasn't changed. What changed is we stopped going back to the reading room. I've noticed, especially since I've thought of this question and hearing the dialogue that goes back and forth, that's another neat aspect of where I see the RA. Bringing that loop back in to the departments currently utilizing a mid-level in their facility. Getting those conversations to continue to go and maintaining those relationships. To me, I think as technologists, we still have to kind of put some of that effort in, right? Relationships
1: are always two-way streets.
2: And I mean, so many yeah. people aren't working in the building anymore. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the staff That's- has passed. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think just utilizing those other avenues to, you know, keep the communication lines open between the tech and the radiologist or the tech mid-level and radiologist, that would bring all those relationships back to how they used to be.
0: Yeah, I think we're just going to have to find new ways, right? You find the problem. Now you make the solution.
2: Yeah, but I agree with you. Before, it was mostly the technologist. So is it 70% on the technologist and 30% on the radiologist? Yeah.
0: And I know that their workflow is very busy. I understand that. And looking for that opportunity is a little bit hard. But I think breaking that ice kind of makes it a little bit easier because sometimes they need that break too.
1: Yeah. Sometimes even the heads up as a technologist, if you see a critical finding, go to the rad, give them a heads up, be like, hey, I think this needs some attention sooner rather than later, just so the rad can get eyes on it.
0: Well, right. And it's easy to pick up the phone, right? Pick up the phone and call them. But you're interrupting just the same as when you walk into the reading room. So why not add that face value? True. That would be my advice. All right, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you for taking the time with us, sharing with us about RAD-Aid. I thought that was really neat. I look forward to looking into it more and hopefully getting more involved in it. I know it's something that Reese has been passionate about, so I'm sure that he'll look into it. And I also appreciate everything that you do And helping to support the RA profession as well as the RT profession for taking the time and putting yourself out there and coming on with us today. I really, really appreciate our listeners who take time to sit and listen to us to gain different perspective or to understand things that maybe just like me, we're not very knowledgeable of. And that's okay, but it's a learning process and putting ourselves out there, getting to know each other and getting to understand where we're all coming from. I encourage all of our listeners to please like, share, rate, review, really get the word out there, kind of raise awareness, not only for the RT side, CT side, MAMO side, radiation therapy side, but all of us as a whole in radiology to really help us come together, understand where we have our difficulties But where we can find our strength in our voices and in our numbers and in unity. So I really, really appreciate everybody who does take the time to listen to us. If you have something you want to say, you can always reach out to us at www.collaborationra.com. Reese, anything you'd like to say?
1: If you would like to know more about Rad Aid, we will be including Elizabeth's contact information on this podcast episode. So you can go check her out and reach out to her if you feel. That's something you want to learn more about because I'm sure she would be more than happy to assist in answering any additional questions that weren't already covered. Hopefully great things will come of it.
2: Feel free to ask questions about the ASRT or
0: ARRT as well. All right, guys. Well, thank you. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Collaboration RA remember to find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. There you'll find our social media accounts. Give us a like and give us a share. We look forward to your support and thank you for tuning in.